0: I mean, I'm a, a really bad loser. <laughs> and yet in tournament poker, you lose most of the time. You know, if we feel like we're exploiting players, but we don't know what we're supposed to do at equilibrium, then we're probably just clicking buttons. They always say that if you can find a group of people to discuss poker with that are slightly better than you, then you're going to make you know, a lot of progress. A lot of your money in poker comes from players who are weaker than you. So anytime that you can play them in position, you should be doing it and we had no idea what the, the sort of etiquette was. I remember uh, somebody raised and then pretty much the whole table called and it got back to the original raiser and no one had 3-bet, but he raised again. And we,
1: <laughs> thought that, we thought that was okay. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. This is episode 81 and I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are officially sponsored by Running Aces Racetrack and casino, and today uh, it is my pleasure to bring you the interview that I recently did with Gareth James, a very, uh, a very smart, very, uh, very qualified um, pro poker player who leads the MTT Poker School, and he also co-hosts the podcast Poker on the Mind, which is a very good uh, podcast that he does with Dr. Tricia Cardner. Whose voice you often hear on this podcast. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I was torn between doing it as one long episode or breaking it into two, but frankly I just have so many great interviews that I've done. Um, I'm going to start giving them to you uh, one full interview at a time uh, so I can get you the information. So this episode is longer than our normal 30 to 40 minute target, Uh, but I I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, And he's got an accent that uh, I I'm super jealous of being from England. Uh, So enjoy this with Gareth. Uh, We'll hear a word from our official sponsor, Running Aces. And then when we come right back, you'll hear uh, the interview. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar, running Ace's Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. I am here with Gareth James as promised, live from England. Gareth, how are we doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Steve. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Now we had to kind of coordinate our our time over the pond, right? So it's morning here and it's afternoon there. It is. Yeah, it's half past one in the afternoon.
0: So just uh, just after lunchtime.
1: Nice. And you're you're in Leeds. That's right. Yeah. I okay am. so for our for our listening audience as, as well as myself help us locate where is that relative to London.
0: Uh, it's about 3 4 hours north of London. I'd say probably 200 miles north of London.
1: Okay and you're okay. you're life pretty much a lifelong England resident.
0: I am yeah. Uh moved moved to England when I was 3 months old. I was born in the Netherlands um but I uh, yeah I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I used to live uh, in a place called Grantham near Nottingham. And then I moved to Leeds to study music. And then I moved to London to be a teacher. And then I went around the world and ended up back in Leeds. And now I'm uh, not a teacher anymore, but a, a poker player and coach.
1: Now, that's super intriguing. So, so you studied music and then you went into teaching. Were you teaching music or teaching something else?
0: Uh, yeah, I was teaching music. Yeah, so I spent um, six years teaching, teaching uh, secondary school music, like high school music.
1: Do you still do any of that at all?
0: Uh, I do a little bit and just to kind of keep um well actually it's it's just a nice thing to do away from poker cuz you know when i'm doing lots of coaching and playing it's uh, it's nice to have the balance to go and do to do other things um so i do yeah just you know, maybe you know a few hours here and there um each month just to you know, keep keep my foot in the door really and to uh, to have that nice nice change from from playing and coaching poker all the time
1: Yeah. And for some of us, the the recreational players, we look at poker as sort of our escape from our real world, so to speak, our, you know, our nine to five job, our families, that sort of thing. It's our hobby that we escape from. Yeah. But for you that are where poker is your livelihood, your escape is going to be something else. So music is that for you?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting when I was a um, full time music teacher, I actually lost the passion for music um so when I was when I was growing up I was was 15 years old and I went into a recording studio for the first time I just fell in love with it and thought well this is what I want to do I want to be a writer and producer uh and then when I became a teacher that passion just sort of disappeared because I was spending the whole time teaching teaching music and when I got home I really didn't want to to do that so in in fact when I was a full-time teacher my my escape was poker so I would do the full-time music teaching and then come home and play poker in the evening and at weekends
1: Interesting. So have you found now that you've transitioned and we'll talk a little bit about what you're actually doing in the poker world, but as you've transitioned for most of your world being poker, have you found that that's been difficult to keep that passion for poker once it becomes sort of your livelihood and your full-time gig? Yeah,
0: I was really worried actually that that would happen given that it happened the same thing in music, but so far so good. Um, I've managed to just have a nice balance between everything at the moment. So you know, I spend time away from Away from the office, away from playing and coaching, uh, doing things like you know going to the gym and playing other sport and and seeing friends, socialising, going to gigs, things like that, um, which is, which has really helped. Uh, but yeah, so far I'm I've not sort of burnt out in terms of you know the poker playing playing poker all the time. Uh, I've still got as much passion now, if not more passion than I've ever had, um, to to continue sort of developing, getting better, and uh, helping other people get better as well.
1: Well, that's awesome. That's what we're all about. So, how did you get started in poker? You were, you know, you you grew up in, involved in music, but was poker or card games always part of your life, or how did you get introduced to this game?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the only card games I used to play as a kid was like Snap. Probably, um, it wasn't certainly wasn't something we used to sit around the, the family table and and do. Um, I might have played uh, solitaire and free cell on the computer, but that was that was really the limit of the card games. Um, but yeah so when i finished my music degree i was living uh in a place called Headingley which is a very much student friendly area of uh, of Leeds uh for any of our uk listeners they'll they'll know it probably and uh i was living with a guy called Andy and he he was playing online poker and i thought oh wow, this is interesting and i i'd always been the kind of guy with, like I wonder how I can make a you know, a quick buck. How can I <laughs> find a way to make an easy living? And this looked like it was going to be it. So I started playing one cent, two cent limit poker. And I, looking back at it now, like thinking that I was going to make a living playing one cent, two cent limit <laughs> poker is very laughable. But it was a way I could play a game on the computer because I always loved playing computer games. I used to play lots of football games on the PlayStation growing up. Um, and I thought, oh, I can play a game here uh, that, I could actually make some money out of as well uh yeah it it didn't it didn't work out in the in the uh, in the early stages I kept on depositing ten dollars and and going from from there and then I sort of discovered sit and goes and that I just loved them and but at this point I guess I must have like read some books or um because it wasn't really the well at least I hadn't found the forums and the um, discussion groups and discord groups and Skype groups at this stage. So I must've read some books at that point. And whilst I was still, you know, really, really bad at the game, there were players who were worse than me. So I was able to, to actually build up a bankroll playing, uh, like $5 sit and goes at the time.
1: Do you think, uh, you think it was just because you had gotten better at the game or was there something inherent about sit and goes that was better for your style, your personality, your game? was it just that's a great question.
0: I think if there was anything it would be the competition. So I I grew up in sports teams. So I played cricket and football um growing up and I just I love competition. And I think I think when I was playing limit games it was just, you know, one continuous game really and there wasn't, you know, if you came up came out ahead, it was that really a win? I'm not really sure. But then when I played sit and goes, I thought, wow, you can actually win this and and I really wanted to win. Mm. Uh, so that was probably the the driving factor there, and I guess that's kind of why I then sort of transitioned to to MTTs because then there was a much bigger first prize, and if I was fortunate enough to win, it was going to be worth a lot more than yeah you know, the sort of peanuts I was playing for for the in the five dollars sin goes
1: right, and I think I think that's true. But my personality as well, I rarely play cash primarily not not because it's not a good ROI or, or those things, but there's something about the competitive nature of seeing you know, you start with 10 tables or 20 tables or whatever it is, you know, you narrowed the field and ultimately there's a champion and there's something about my personality that, that drives me to want to win. And obviously you can make the money's a lot bigger, you know, in those sorts of situations, but I think the competitive nature is there. So I think a part of it is understanding your own personality and what drives you, uh, whether it's, you know, just your, your best ROI for a given session or if it's the competitive nature of wanting to eliminate your opponents.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that I did choose tournament poker because being, I mean, I'm a really bad loser. And yet in tournament poker, you lose most of the time. Yeah. So those two things don't kind of go together. But I feel like every time I lose, I just encourages me and motivates me to want to get better and to do better next time. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's why I was stuck with uh, with tournament poker. But yeah, it doesn't really make too much sense.
1: (laughs) I get it, though. I I totally get it. So I mean, it's sort of like going up there swinging for the fences. You want the home run rather than just being being to hit singles all the time, using the the baseball analogy. So, yeah, uh, t- talk a little bit now. I want to talk a little bit of how you got from there to where you are now. But let's first kind of ground this. And where are you now? What are you doing? What are you all involved with? What are you playing? All of that sort of thing.
0: Uh, so at the moment, I I. Um, I run a, a website, mttpokerschool.com, um, where I'm the the founder and uh, head coach. And what that is is uh, an opportunity for uh, sort of developing tournament poker players to just sort of hone their their fundamentals. Uh, so I do a lot of work with yeah with with those kind of tournament players who are looking to just improve their results and make the step up. Uh, I find that the there's a lot of the sort of fundamentals of tournament poker that can be really sort of solidified so that then people can go on and, and start developing other areas of their game uh, so that's uh, one aspect and then I'm playing uh, three times a week uh, mid stakes mtt's online so I play on stars party 888 uh, i poker as well and then occasionally I'd I go off and play uh, some live poker as well so couple of months ago I was at the Irish Open and then next month I'll be uh, heading over heading over the pond and uh, going to to Vegas.
1: Are you going to be there for the entire summer or how much time are you going to spend there? Uh, I'm there for
0: 18 nights so I get in at the sort of end of June uh, right to the sort of pretty much the end of the series. You'll Um, play the main event then as part of that? I'm actually not going to play the main. So I'm, I'm the biggest bankroll nit around. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, I could sell for it. And I, I've talked about this um, to, to lots of people. And they, they say, well, you just got to sell. Like if you're there for the main anyway, like it's the highest value tournament. But if, you know, the more I sell, the, the, the less I win. And the, the the smaller the event becomes anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, if, if things go well, you know, I'm there for like uh, 10 days, I think, before the main possibly. And then, then, you know, I'll play the main. But right. my plan is not to play the main. I'm going to play the Monster Stack as kind of my main event, and then a series of other events like the 1K online. And there's some other mains. Uh, it's like the WPT 500 and the Golden Nugget main as well. Uh, and then there's various other tournaments that I'll play. Um, but I'm not going to be, um, you know, it's, it's such a big difference going from online and playing mid stakes um, in terms of the money you need and the bankroll you need to go and play too high uh when you go and play live
1: right and what, what do you consider mid stakes online what is what is that range
0: it's like uh 22 to 109
1: okay yeah i think i've just heard different people use different terminologies so it sort sorts of grounds grounds yeah. us right. okay well good luck over there and uh, will, i'm going out to vegas myself but we won't be uh our schedules will not be connecting so no chance to grab a drink together or anything oh that's a shame maybe next year yeah, maybe next year. Good good luck over there. Thank so you. You okay, so you got the you got the training site. Talk talk a little bit about uh, you know who's your target audience for that training site. I mean, we have people that are sort of across the spectrum listening to this podcast. Is that geared primarily for beginners, for you know sort of advanced players looking to take the next level, or for really you know kind of top level folks?
0: It's um it's really for sort of just the I guess the next step up from an absolute beginner. So you you know you might have been playing tournament poker for a while and. Uh, but you just don't have the results that you that you want, or you think that you should be should be getting. Uh, so, you know, if you're playing micro or low stakes online, that's definitely um, my target audience. Um, also, you know, cash players, uh, cash players that are transitioning to tournaments. So, you know, whilst I might focus on the micro and low stakes players if there's a cash player that's you know getting uh, set up to play you know we've got series coming up we've got scoop and power fest and uh, various things like that going on uh, in the next few days then i'll work with them on their tournament fundamentals so you know it i don't want to say it's just by stake you know there are some i've worked with some you know i've actually worked with some of the highest uh, like nosebleed stakes players you know transitioning to tournaments um, because the, the the fundamentals are so different yeah it's the same game but there's so much there's so much difference so uh yeah i guess yeah if you're if you feel like you're a competent cash player and you're trying to transition to tournaments then definitely that's that's who i'm who I, I like working with and then yeah, micro and low stakes tournament players who are trying to uh be more profitable but also jump up to mid stakes
1: can you give an example of one of those fundamental things that you're referring to when you'd say there's you know they're just fundamentals that people need to improve what are those things that people are coming to you with that they have the biggest gap in that they need the most help with, or that, you know, you're convinced is really a key to tournament success.
0: Uh, I would say it's around stack size awareness. So especially cash players that are used to playing hundred big blind poker, they're great in the first few levels of a tournament, but once their stack drops to 40, 30, 20, 10 big blinds, the the strategies change so much. And you know, even even those players that just play tournaments, um, I see you know a lot of mistakes, uh, shorter stack sizes, like not understanding that you can shove um, for you know you could open shove for twenty big blinds sometimes, or sometimes it's only appropriate to shove for twelve big blinds, but then you can three bet shove for up to thirty big blinds. Um, so just being aware of what each stack size allows you to do, I think is the biggest uh the biggest thing I th- I think. Um, and then you can develop strategies for each of those stack sizes and and how you respond to players with those stack sizes as well.
1: Cool. So I am thinking about now your your journey. I, I I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit, but your your journey from, you know, seeing your your buddy uh playing one cent, two cent. And thinking, hey, I can make a living playing one cent, two cent online (laughs) Uh, and then playing the five dollar tournaments and and thinking about how many people are sort of in that situation that you were in thinking, man, I can make a living out of this. But yet the reality is probably very few actually do. And now you're, you know, now you're playing bigger tournaments, you're playing the World Series, you've got a training site, you know, very successful in the eyes of the poker community, very well respected you know, what, how did you, was it, was it just luck? Was this just a, another element of variance or what do you give credit to for being able to make that move from, you know, the small stakes, grinding, um, you know, having poker as being just a hobby to now poker as your career?
0: Well, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a really great, great question. I think persistence was the key thing for me Um I think within tournament poker, I I feel like you know you can go on a de- you can definitely go on a bad run, and I feel like there's a lot of players out there have gone on a, on a downswing. Um, you know, it's, maybe it's down to their own ability, or maybe it's just down to the to variance. But they you know they give up too soon, um, and I think for me it was persistence and recognize as soon as I recognized that in tournaments you know you're going to have some good days and you're definitely going to have some bad days as well that you have to sort of Battle on through and continue, you know, continue to register, to continue to, uh, to work hard. Uh, so yes, persistence and, and and hard work is the is the thing that kind of got me to where I am um, today.
1: There, are there certain elements of your game that you've really worked on that you've said, man, I just these are the gaps that I need to overcome, and you've been diligent to overcome those.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, growing up with Sit and goes, you know, I felt like I developed a pretty good understanding of ICM. Um, and short stack play you know sub 30 big blind poker was just very very good but once we got deep stacked then i definitely found that there was some there was some areas for development so i you know there's a lot of time in in tournaments where you very rarely see turns and rivers so playing turns and rivers was an area that i needed to work on um so that's yeah that's 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 what i set, set about and uh and actually did
1: So what did that, what did that look like for you in terms of working on it? Is it just getting more reps, playing more online, playing, you know, trying to enter more pots to give you that experience? Was it off the felt study? Was it discussions with others? What, how did you actually work on that?
0: Yeah. So I played, I just fired up some cash games, um, like very, very low stakes, stakes that it didn't matter to me. Um, I could, you know, I could punt, I could experiment, Um, But I could actually get in, you know, like you said, like the reps and and experiencing more turns and rivers because, you know, as tournament players, we just don't get to see enough turns and rivers. And as soon as we get deep stacked, we we definitely lack um, the the experience, and that's and that's exactly what it is. Uh, So, when you come up against a cash player, they're just going to be very much more comfortable playing turns and rivers. Uh, So yeah, I played a lot of cash. Um, I got coaching from a few cash game players, uh, actually. You know cash um, coaching me to play cash games rather than even like the deeper stack parts of of tournament poker and then more recently i 've really been um, using solvers um, so using pio solver um, every single day to run lots of different spots uh, to to see what the the gto line is uh, but then you know working out how uh, the population is sort of deviating from from that uh, I really believe that you know, if we feel like we're exploiting players, but we don't know what we're supposed to do at equilibrium, then we're probably just clicking buttons. Mm. Um,
1: it's little, yeah, that we, what you mentioned there is a theme that I hear in a lot of these interviews that I do, where a lot of this—if I'm hearing you correctly—a lot of this is study off the felt, so, yeah. that you're, so that you're prepared when you get, you know, into that into that uh, situation that you, you sort of already know, versus trying to do, you know, high-level stochastic, gen, you know, scenario generation in your head. You've yeah. sort of done the study and you said, okay, here's you know, at least the, the baseline, whether you, know, whether you call it GTO or equilibrium or sort of my default play and then adjust for the situation. Yeah. versus trying to do all of that analysis in real time.
0: Yeah, and, and the thing is we, we get a finite number of hands in our lifetime. So, it's something that I really I, I do when I study, but also encourage my students to do, is to change some of the variables. Um, so, you know, just to take an example of let's say just really simple um, push fold you know changing the changing the uh changing the variables like okay we're now we're at a final table and now we're at a final table bubble or we're on the, the uh bubble of the min cash um what about if we have 15 big blinds versus 20 versus 10 you know what if our opponent is loose what if our opponent doesn't understand he should be calling wide here or he should be calling tight like what effect is that going to have on on our uh strategy and so, just changing all those variables from just one hand allows you to sort of multiply your your understanding and learning and your experience of those hands. So, like I said before about the cash games, you uh, we only get to, we don't get to see many turns and rivers playing tournaments, um, and so it's just about experience. And cash game players have seen more turns and rivers, so they're probably going to be better playing those turns and rivers. Uh, so, in order to experience more hands, we can actually sort of make up or change the variables to make new uh, new hands and, and learn from that
1: i love that and we actually ran some scenarios or did some hand situations you know in earlier episodes where we did something just like that where we we talked to the pros and we said okay here's the situation you know what's 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 your optimal play and then uh asking sort of what what sizes would the stacks have to be for that to change your decision or you mm-hmm. know what type of player type would it have to be to change your decision and i think it's the same idea of sort of taking individually each factor and saying okay let's let's sort of pull that lever a little bit and see if that changes our decision but one of the things I wanted to ask you about is we look at that and for for many of us you know that even have been playing for years we're still recreational players and we look at the volume of factors that we're supposed to consider in sort of any situation and it seems so overwhelming sometimes we just throw our hands up in the air Uh, Can you, do you have a a general framework for, you know, which factors are maybe the most critical to pay attention to if, if our brain doesn't have the capability to, you know, take 12 factors into account and remember all of those things that we're supposed to consider, you know, besides, I guess stack size is one for you, but you know, how do, how do we sort of build that framework or that decision-making ability to understand which factors should we really be paying the most attention to?
0: Well, you're already coming with the with the great questions. I need to. Uh, <laughs> I've got to I've got a lot this. of questions, Gary. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a really great question. That's one
1: I need to uh, just to think about uh, for a minute. Yeah, and I can I can kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. Just you know because what we'll talk about is you know when we when we break down hands you know specific hand situations, people say well, you need to make sure you pay attention to uh, stack size and of course effective stack size and your stack you know your stack to pot ratio and all those things. You need to pay attention to. The overall tournament, you know, what's the tournament situation? Are you nearing the bubble? Are you in the money? What's the ICM implications? Uh, what's the player type that you're against? Considering all the players that are yet to act behind you, what are all of their stacks? What are they potentially uh, going to do in this situation? Uh, what's your table image? What's their table image? What's your, you know, there, there's so many things that when we're breaking down a hands, people will just say, well, you got to consider that too, or well, you didn't consider that. And you know, is there is there a framework that we you know think about? Are there factors that we should pay attention to more than others, or is this simply just a, a result of experience and those things just become second nature? Like thinking about position when you're going to be opening preflop.
0: Yeah, so I I think I've never really looked at it in terms of a framework. Okay. I like going back to how you were talking about off the off the table study. Um, the more that you can do that, the more it becomes. Um, Sort of intuition to to know. Okay, I should be doing this. Should be doing this. I should be looking out for the various uh, the various factors. Um, so, I mean, something that I would encourage is to focus on the areas of the game that happen time and time again. Um, so, you know, when we when it's folded to us, that happens time and time again. And so, that you know, as, at a very basic level, we need to know the hands we're going to open, how we're going to respond if someone three bets or jams, uh, and that's something that you can do away from playing um but you can also do in the moment as well you can say okay this is the range of hands i'm going to open if the guy next to me decides to three bet these are the hands i'm going to four bet or the hands i'm going to flat or the, and these are the hands i'm going to fold and to approach it from sort of the range perspective at that sort of juncture and knowing exactly what you're going to do uh, whatever however anyone responds uh, to that uh, so i think that's a a key thing to to focus on but then yeah you're right that there's all these other factors um that can just sort of cloud that initial um thought process so i think if you're focused okay these are the hands this is my range like even before you look at your hand you can say this is my range here and then uh how how it's going to go from from there and start thinking about the sort of different trees uh sorry different branches of the tree that you could possibly go down
1: right exactly so it's sort of the, the like playing chess again just kind of thinking ahead and What what could happen and what you're going to do. And and so in those moments, I mean, you, in your process of opening preflop, you've already established, you know, what range your, at least your default ranges for opening uh, your default ranges for either uh, folding, calling or four betting a three bet. Uh, Those are all sort of just ingrained in your head uh, by position against certain types of people. And so yep. you're not spending a lot of energy thinking about that then.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cause I've done the, the work off the table and I know right. the adjustments I need to make based on, you know, the players who are still left to act.
1: Okay. And so then what, what could cause you to deviate from those? So if you sort of have this, this preflop strategy, at least of, you know, opening and then folding, calling or, or forbidding a three bed, you know, are, what are the, what are the, those key factors that are going to make you to potentially deviate from your default strategy?
0: Uh, So, I mean, the the player that's on the button is going to really have an impact on the range of hands I want to open. So if he's too loose, I certainly can't get wider. um, You know, as we get deeper into a tournament, I'm going to want to play more aggressively, play more hands. But if the button is an aggressive 3-better or just likes to flat, we are going to struggle. But if the button is a 15-big blind stack and is just looking for a spot to a 3-bet jam, then we can definitely open wider than our default ranges. Um, the players in the blinds are going to have a huge impact on how wide I want to open. So, you know, a lot of your money in poker comes from players who are weaker than you. So anytime you can play them in position, you should be doing it. And so if the big blind or the small blind is going to be flatting a lot, I mean, you know, in tournaments, we see a lot of flatting from the big blind now anyway. But if the big blind or the small blind are particularly weak, then opening up your range and almost... um encouraging them to play more pots out position against you is going to be good for you in the long run because you're just going to win um much more and the more hands you can play against weaker players the more money you you win so like or make so if if you i'm just going to throw a number out here but if you won half a big blind for example um every time you played a hand then you know you'd want to play as many hands as you possibly could against against weaker players um so if you you know, you would normally only play eight out of 10 hands, for example, that got folded to you in this situation, then maybe you should play 10 because that's an extra big blind to your, added to your win rate.
1: So as, as you're just considering all of that pre let's just say, for example, this isn't probably a, a right range, but let's say I'm, you know, in, in some position and my default range is opening pocket sixes are better and ace jack suited are better. And, but then, so that's sort of my, my general range to open but then I know, you know certain things about the button and the, and the blinds that make me want to expand that range. So all of this is sort of happening in your head before you see your cards, right? Now I am maybe expanding my range to deuces or better, you know, whatever. Uh, is, that, is that sort of what's going on in your head? Is all of that sort of a, before you're looking at your cards, you've, you've either expanded or contracted your range in your head?
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly does when I play live, but when I play online, we kind of, the, the, the hand's already there, so you don't get time to, right. to think about your range. But I know, like, okay, it's folded around to me in, in X position. And I know, okay, this is my default that I would open from here. Then I have a quick glance at the stack sizes and the players behind. And then that impacts on the, on the if I'm going to get wider. So I tend not to go too much tighter than the default. Uh, because it's a default because it relies on, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what anyone one decides to do. That's that sort of the tightest I want to open. And then I'm definitely going to go ahead and get wider based on the other the
1: other oh, players. okay. So okay. So you really see it as sort of the here's the GTO optimal, here's the minimum range to, to exactly. open. And you only expand based on exploitive opportunities. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Ah very good stuff. Okay. So if you're thinking about, you know, you already talked a little bit about stack size and how you see players making that mistake all the time. What are some of the other things that you see at the table that are or you know, through your coaching where these are just the biggest glaring mistakes? And if people could just close this up in their game, they'd become a more winning player. I mean, the biggest thing is not even a strategic thing.
0: It's um being better at managing a bankroll. In tournament poker, it's just the most important thing. And um, lots of I've seen lots of players go broke because they're not able to manage their bankroll. They want to play too high too soon. And they just uh, they just burn through all of the money they've made. Uh, so managing your bankroll and being more conservative with it is going to lead to a more profitable career. Like you might be, you know, you could play very aggressively, um, you can aggressively shot take, but and that's going to be great in the short term. But long term, you need to be a little bit more conservative and just manage the bankroll more effectively. And so recognizing the the effect of you know your ability uh, versus the other players. Uh, the the effect that field size has, uh, the effect that the number of players paid is going to have on your bankroll. Um, yeah, your the choice of game that you play, and also the the type of games that you play. So you know, are you just playing hyper turbos and turbos, which I know a lot of sort of low stakes live tournaments tend to be very turbo-y in nature, uh, or are you finding like the best structure possible? Uh, it's going to have a huge effect on the games that you should be playing. Uh, so that's that, that's the biggest the biggest leak I see. Um, it's it's prevented a lot of good tournament players from actually progressing because they they just burn through their bankroll.
1: Mm. So do you have any sort of guidelines for folks as far as uh, you know their bankroll relative to the size of the game that they're playing? Yeah, I mean,
0: I always used to think around 200 buy-ins as an average would be uh, would be good. Um, but if you're playing a lot of the online stuff, especially in Europe or Canada, we obviously we're pretty fortunate to still have PokerStars and Party Poker. Um, you know, looking for even more than 200, uh, you know, if you're playing like an 8,000 player field, you're going to need like 500 buy-ins for that tournament. Um, you know, I've, I know a lot of players that play the Sunday million each week and they're not actually making any money from it. Um, because it, you know, it happens once a week. You only get to play 50 of them in a year or 52 in a year. And, uh, you just don't get to play the tournament enough to realize your true expectation, uh, and the f- because the field size is so big, you know, if the field was, you know, a 45 man sit and go every week, then you definitely realize your expectation uh, much, much sooner. Uh, so, yeah, the bigger the field, the more buy-ins you, you need. Uh, and obviously the smaller field, the fewer buy-ins you need.
1: So if you have players out there that are are thinking, you know, boy, I'm playing these small stakes, but the, the structures are so crappy. but I And I think I'd be better at, you know, at a better structured tournament, but I don't have the bankroll to play a better structured tournament. Is your recommendation generally, well, play the smaller stakes? If you can't beat those, you're not going to beat the bigger ones? Or would it be potentially, you know, maybe find investors that can get you to that ratio that you need?
0: Yeah, that's always a difficult uh, dilemma, really. Um, It almost sort of comes from, you know, moving up to to where where, uh, players respect your raises. Um, But more in a sense, I guess, where you're going is that the, the yeah, like you said, like the structure is going to be better. So it's going to suit, suit mm-hmm. you. It's not going to just be a, um, a complete gamble at the end. Very, you know, just full of push fold, like a lot of turbos and hyper turbos are, are close to the end. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I always recommend playing regular and slow structures online. Um, I think turbos and hypers are great fun. And you know, if you, if you're short on time, then that's, that's great. But I would always recommend the, the, the best structure possible, giving you, you know, yourself the best opportunity to, to be successful. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think looking for investment is going to be uh, is going to be good, but it's going to be hard to do that if you don't have the results playing these other tournaments.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of a catch 22. Show me your results. Well, I don't have them, but trust me, I think I could do better at the bigger stakes. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could
0: you could sell to friends and family, right. yeah. in the in the first instance, um, and then and then go from there once you once you do have some results. Um, would you say most of the listener base is uh, in the states? I'd say most of it is, yeah, probably about ninety percent of it's in the U.S. Yeah, so like part of in a lot of my experience and opinion is going to be okay. Well get yourself online and play, you know, play a really? ton of poker online, show your online results. And then, you know, you'll definitely be able to get investment for live tournaments. But I recognize that that's not the, really the case in the States. I mean, you, you obviously have some, some online sites like America's card room and depending on where you right. are, like the poker Stars New Jersey and uh, WSOP just joined the three states, didn't it together. So, um, you know, if you can do that, then great. If you don't have that option, I'm not sure what the, what the answer is uh, apart from just trying to fire as many tournaments as you can. But the thing with live tournaments is that you just don't get to play enough of them in a year to again,
1: realize your true expectation. Exactly. One of the things I found though, I've I've had investors for the last several years. I've only been, I've been playing about seven or eight years and I've been investors the last several years, primarily just because I want to, you know, reduce the risk. But one of the, one of the advantages of that has actually been, I've been able to build a, build an actual, uh, you know, fact-based historical uh, live, uh, results foundation that I can then share if I'm looking for investors in other tournaments. So I've got, you know, sort of a track record built in already. So there is, yeah. there's some advantage doing that. Of course, it's kind of a pain to manage, you know, and you always got, you know, you're, you're dealing with family and friends and money and that sort of thing that can be a difficult thing. But, um, you know, it has allowed me to reduce the risk while also giving, giving me a track record, giving me an honest sort of assessment of, of you know, how I've been doing.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Um, yeah, I really like that. I mean yeah. like I said, like it's easy for me because I have online results, and I can right. then go ahead and say, you know, maybe I will end up selling for the main. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: I can download those and show everybody, the, show the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, if you have, if you had somebody that come up come up to you, you know, right now and says, you know, I'm brand new, I've never played the game at all, but I want to learn Texas Hold'em. You know, I I saw the main event, and I want to win eight million dollars or whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You know, they said, okay. Where do I start? Like, what's the best way to start getting into this game? What would you say?
0: Uh, I would say just find some way of playing. I think experience in the first instance is going to be really important. Uh, If you can find a friendly home game or bar league game where, you know, you're not going to be berated because you don't understand the rules. Right. Then that's going to be, that's going to be great. I mean, I I started, um, I'll say started. The first time I played live poker was a live home game. And we had no idea what the the sort of etiquette was. I remember uh, somebody raised, and then pretty much the whole table called, and it got back to the original raiser, and no one had three bet, but he raised again, and we <laughs> thought that we thought that was okay. And Sweet. so I thought, wow, you know this, um, I, but we were in such an environment where nobody really, you know, it really? didn't matter, and it, we, you know, we were playing again for like five pounds. And it was a friendly, friendly environment. So if you can do that, then then that's that's great. Um, I mean, there's so many there's so many resources now. I think some can be quite overwhelming. I mean, there's a, you know there's loads of free videos on YouTube, there's loads of articles, loads of sites out there now offering free uh, free advice. Um, I mean, in a way, like if you can find someone who's slightly better than you to sort of teach you. Um, or to take with you, like to a to a home game, then that's probably a good good way to start. I mean, they always say that if you can find a group of people to discuss poker with that are slightly better than you, then you're going to make you know a lot of progress. So if you can fi- if you can find somebody like that, then then that's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are just so many resources now. Like I, I sort of alluded to at the the start, where I said I didn't really know about the forums and the Skype groups and the Discord groups that, that now exist. Um, but if you, but there are so many, so many now that, you know, you've, you're spoiled for choice. So it's just finding one that, um, you like, and you enjoy being part of and and posting questions, uh, in, in those.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, kind of what I'm hearing inside of that, that is being, being curious, being a question asker, but also the humility to, 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 to recognize you don't know, you know, what you're doing necessarily in every situation, but, you know, being willing to learn from others. I think sometimes hubris can get in the way of our ability to learn anything in life. So I think there has to be this this posture of sort of uh, humility going into the, learning the game. Oh, massively, yeah. I mean,
0: that's, that's still the case for me now. And I think if any poker player tells you that they know what to do in every spot, then they're probably deluded. <laughs> uh, so it's still something that you need to, to, to be aware of and be happy that there's still spots that you don't know what to do. Um, you know, the more you study the the less frequent they become, but, um, I actually enjoy it when I, when I find a spot that I don't know what to do, because it means that there's an area there that I need to develop and, and work on. Um, but yeah, I, I see it. There's, um, I see some new players who, who are not as, as humble, um, mm-hmm. or open to suggestions. So, I mean, I lo- I love learning and, and, um, I like listening to other, other ideas and I'm certainly not Going to be so set in my ways that i 'm going to disagree with everyone, but I see a lot of new players coming in and and saying, What do you think about this bluff like it was really good right, and then you know you analyze it and actually it 's not a very good bluff um, and you give them that feedback and you just you know explain why it 's not so good, but they don 't like that they get very defensive um, mm-hmm. and there 's just as poker players we are very defensive, but I think we need to be less defensive we need to be more open um, so yeah, I, I mean, I would just encourage, yeah, those new players, but also everybody to be more open, um, you know, discuss, discuss, your, and share ideas, and and that's going to help you you learn and continue to learn as well, because there's there's so much to learn in this game. I've just started um, learning other games like PLO and Razz and Stud, um, and I'm just amazed at how much I don't know about mm-hmm. those uh, those games. But even just coming back to no limit hold'em tournaments, there's so much that I still need to learn in that as well. So just yeah, being like you said, having the humility to recognize that there's still so much to learn, and uh, and being happy with that, and and just cracking on and, and getting on with the getting on with it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a general principle in life. Is I think I think a lot of times our ability to learn or our uh, you know our knowledge base is is capped based on the. The lack of humility that we have, I think that's really yeah. is a critical, a critical part of learning is having that humility to say maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong here, maybe I don't have the right answer, or learning from others. So, that's that's good stuff. And and you mentioned briefly about uh, having a safe place where you're not going to be berated. And yeah. one of the things that, and maybe this is different from the U.S. For, from England, and I hope for your sake it is, but uh, I think I'm pretty convinced that one of the reasons why the game isn't growing as fast as we'd like it to grow in terms of, you know, some of the mid-majors getting players and some of the bigger weekly tournaments getting players is that there's still, what happens is the, the recreational players like myself that are playing the the $50, $100 buy-ins go play an $1,100 buy-in and we might make a mistake mm. and we might win the pot because we made that mistake and then just getting berated for the play or, you know, or or whatever it is, or, you know, you, you open... You know, there's four limpers and you open, you know, to three X, which doesn't accomplish anything. And, you know, somebody makes some snide comment about, you know, these crappy players or whatever. So there's, I think there's still this berating that happens, even in Minnesota, we're known for our niceness, um, yeah. you know, that, that happens. And I think that's a, that can, can lead to lack of growth in the game. And I'm curious your thoughts on that and, you know, what message, how do we help people recognize that berating worst players is not helping your ROI?
0: No, yeah, I've never understood how that like why that happens. what uh, I spent most of the time, my time playing online. And so um but when I do go and play live, I, I see and hear exactly what you're what you're talking about. And it just amazes me that people would do that. Um, you know, people that call themselves pros as well will start, you know, giving strategic advice. Like that's surely gotta hurt your uh hurt your ROI. And then but then they'll start berating them as well. And like, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't be berating them because again, that's going to affect your ROI. If, if somebody knows that they're doing something wrong, they're either going to not play anymore, which is going to hurt your win rate, or they're going to fix it. And then then the oh. edge that you have over them is going to be much, much smaller. So in terms of how do we, how do we get around that? Um, I mean, I'd like to see uh, poker tables where no strategy is discussed and no comments are made on on each other's play and you're more concerned with like getting to know people at the table, like you know, where they're from, what their story is. Uh, That's for me is much more interesting. And I'll always try and uh, sort of when I'm at the live uh, playing a live tournament is to sort of focus my attention on that rather than anything else. And if somebody starts talking about strategy, I'll try and sort of steer the conversation in another direction um, because I just don't think it's going to help anyone. But yeah, in terms of how we can, how we can, encourage, you know, uh more positivity at the table. I'm not in you know, I'm not entirely sure. I don't play enough live poker to to know mm-hmm. exactly what we should do.
1: Yeah, because I think it's I mean the strategy side that you talked about, it hurts your ROI to give people tips or to tell them it was a bad play. I mean that's clearly going to hurt your ROI, but also, you know, you, you think you want the more people in these these bigger tournaments, the better, because the fields are bigger, the prize pool's bigger. And frankly, you know the recreational players, we're not really a threat to win the thing. I mean, yeah, anything can happen on any given day, but you'd think you'd want to do as much as possible to get more of us at the table. And, you know, berating us, you know, isn't going to do that, but also uh, befriending us, kind of what you're talking about, is actually going to make us want to come. Like, you know, Hey, I sat next to this, this really good player. And, you know, he was interested in my life. He asked me about the work I'm doing in Africa or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, sort of, yeah. And that was a great experience. Even though I lost $1,100 in the tournament, I actually had a great experience. And I might play that again, because it was a good experience. And, you know, I think that's the the piece of, you know, I think, I think for some people needing to take their competitive nature and sort of flip it on an ear and say, yeah, but for the big picture, it's better to actually be, be welcoming to people to play this game. Yeah, for sure.
0: And for someone like me, they're coming from an online background, if I sit there with headphones on for twelve hours, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. You know, I'm used to playing nine tables and having, you know, several decisions a minute uh, to sort of keep me occupied and to uh, stimulate my mind. So if I'm not engaging conversation or um, being part of the table and, and enjoying that experience and helping other people enjoy that experience, I it's it's not it's and very good experience for me. It's a lousy experience, and I don't want that. So, for any, right. you know, even you know, I, I try to make it as a great experience for for everybody. Um, but it's also from almost like a selfish point of view as well. Like I want to to enjoy the experience as well. Yeah, good stuff.
1: All right, so let's let's get back to a little bit about your game and what now as you, as you're playing, whether it's online or live. What what's your biggest edge? Like, where do you say you know what, this is something that I do. Probably better than most people that I'm up against. Yeah, I have things that I don't do very well, but this is where this is something that I do really well, that I can really teach people about. Uh, I would say that
0: I am now just not attached emotionally to results. Mm. And I think in the early days of my career, I would be too concerned with you know busting out on a final table bubble or busting out in seventh. Um, you know, and getting unlucky and thinking, oh, you know, how can this happen? Like, When will it end? All of this. But actually recognizing that this is how tournaments work and you, know, you can play incredibly well and then lose ace-king versus queens on the final temple bubble and that's it. You know, game over. Mm-hmm. So I think being less emotionally attached to those results is really, really important. Like that is going to happen and sometimes you're going to be on the, the right side of it and sometimes you're going to be on the wrong side of it. And whatever happens, you've got to be happy with it. Like, As long as you made the right decision.
1: Then all is uh,
0: all is okay.
1: That's good. So so let's let's kind of circle back to what what you're doing today. Uh, remind folks kind of what your what your program is, where they can find you, how they can connect with you, and how you can maybe help them become a better player.
0: Sure. Um, so definitely head to mttpokerschool.com. And uh, we've got a, a mailing list on there, so you'll be up, uh, kept up to date with, I do various uh, free training videos on YouTube, so you'll get links to that, um, and uh, free articles and uh, information about the podcast that I do, actually, as well. Uh, so I do a, a very regular podcast uh, called Poker on the Mind with uh, Dr. Tricia Cardner, mm-hmm. and we discuss um, mindsets and tournament poker strategy and everything to do with tournament poker and and mindset and everything like that. Uh, so yeah, if you want to, you know, if you've, if you've enjoyed listening to, uh, to my voice on this, then, uh, yeah, definitely check out the, the podcast called poker on the mind. Uh, you find it on iTunes and Stitcher and various other podcast, uh, apps as well.
1: Yeah. And I would, I would, let me jump in. I would highly recommend that for folks too. I know we've had Trisha on a little bit. She's, you know, given a little bit of audio, you know, for, for some of our, uh, some of our discussions about going on tilt and that sort of thing. And she has a great approach and she's the one that actually referred me to you. And uh, it's a, it's a great podcast, especially for those of you guys that are out there that are, that do struggle with that emotional side of poker. Um, I think that's like, it's a great podcast for that, at least the episodes that I've heard. And I'm sure it's much broader than that, but I, I do highly recommend that.
0: Yeah. I, f- I feel like the sort of emotional and mental side of tournament poker is, is really, really important because tournaments are brutal by nature. Like mm-hmm. as I discussed earlier, like getting in a big flip, then pile on table bubble like that's going to happen time and time again and, be, and being sort of prepared for that is really important so you can continue to fire you know whether you're playing live and you go and register for the next tournament or you're playing online and you just click the register button and to carry on going and playing playing really really well despite those things that perhaps don't go so well is really really important so yeah the sort of joining of the two uh, made a lot of sense to me when we when we first started
1: so poker on the mind podcast and the mtt poker school
0: .com yep. that's it dot school.com and you can find out all about the coaching that i have available and um, so i i do do hourly coaching but i prefer to take on students who really you know really want to see the biggest improvement uh, so i do a, a monthly coaching package as well and most of my students on there they continue monthly. Month after month, uh, so we'll have a coaching call each week, and I set re, you know regular exercises and homework. Even you know, coming from an education background, I do I do mm-hmm. tend to set some homework, uh, which might might seem strange to to adults, but uh, yeah, it's important that you you're putting the work in off the table. And it, I mean, it kind of, I know this is not we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but going kind of back to what we were saying, I think there's a lot of players that think that they can watch a training video or read a book, and they're just gonna you know win the the main event and as soon as you realize that there's a ton of work that needs to happen away from the game and away from lessons and away from watching the training video once and not making any notes then you realize okay this this is actually pretty tough but i really want it so that's what i'm going to do
1: no that's so true and and the way i understand this now gareth if if people sign up for your coaching you will pay all of their expenses to be able to fly out to england every month to uh to visit with you right is that correct? You
0: get something. on the private jet and uh you come and uh come and stay with me for a weekend and we uh we play online poker. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not quite although that's maybe something that I should look at in the future. Uh, I think the the monthly price would be a little bit higher if that
1: was the that was the case <laughs> but it's a, a nice little... idea. <laughs> Just a little bit, but, but your coaching does work for remote audiences, so people in the US can, can connect with you and do the calls and that sort of thing, no, no yeah, problem.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I've got, I mean, I have students all over the world, so Australia to Greece to Canada, America, um, and, and Europe as well. And yeah, everything's done through Skype. Um, so I will record the lesson, so at the end of the lesson, you get a video to watch back. Because I was when I was uh, learning, uh, when I first got coaching, I would always ask if I could record the, the mm-hmm. session and, and most coaches were okay with it, but they, most of them were, you know, some of them were a little bit funny about it. Um, perhaps they thought I was going to share it. Um, but it was always just for my own development and I always found that I would watch it back and I, you know, half of it, I completely missed during the lesson. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's something that I, I offer. Um, so yeah, you get a, you know, you get, a. Um, an area of, uh, of Google Drive where I just upload your videos and any notes and any resources. Um, so that's just an, you know, you can keep going back there and you can study the video and you can make your own notes and you can have a dialogue you know, after the session. So it's not just, okay, I'm here for an hour and then see you later. It's uh, very much, uh, okay, here's the, here's the video you w- read, uh, you watch your back, you read through the notes, you, uh, make, you know, you follow up those notes. And then I can uh, I can give you some feedback on that. And it's kind of that constant dialogue. Um, so whilst, you know, you might pay and have four hours of coaching a week, you get everything in between as well.
1: And everybody that I've talked to that's ever had professional coaching says it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Now, you know, as a recreational player, I look at it and I go like, ooh, the cost, eee, yikes, baby. You know, I don't play enough to justify it. Everybody I've talked to that's actually done it, it's worth it. So check out Gareth's stuff. But even, you know, if you've sort of checked out here, listening to the podcast uh, there's some things that Gareth is saying here that are that can be implemented even if you're not paying for a professional coach. Things like talking to people that are better than you, recording it, taking notes, rereading it, revisiting it, recording it. All of those things are things that that we can do as recreational players to get better. Now, I think you know we're we're going to t- make those big jumps by getting you know really good help, really good professional help, like pe- from people like Gareth. But uh, don't lose sight of the fact that a lot of this stuff. Uh, you can do without actually paying a coach to do. Yeah, for sure.
0: And the thing is, as well, I mean, I offer lots of free things as well. Like part, you know, whilst I am, you know, this is my business and I'm, I'm, it's my livelihood and I'm making money from from coaching and from playing. Um, I still do offer some some free stuff. So you know, I have, I think it's over two hundred free training videos on YouTube. Uh, that's YouTube.com forward slash MTT Poker School. And then I have um, I run a uh, Facebook group as well, so you know that's an an opportunity. Like I was talking about before, the when I didn't have access to the forums and the Discord and Skype groups, um, now we have Facebook and Facebook groups, and it's an opportunity for for any of the listeners to come into that group and start posting questions. You know, you can ask questions about strategy or buy-ins or bankroll management, um, just anything to do with tournament poker. Is, is that
1: a public Facebook group or is that a, is that a paid subscription?
0: Uh, it's completely free. Uh, it is it is closed. So you do have to answer a couple of right. questions on the way is, in. Is it MTT Poker School? Is that the name of the group? Uh, yeah. So it's uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash MTT Poker School classroom. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's the the classroom keeper is the the sort of that offshoot, I guess.
1: So a lot of great ways to connect to people Both free resources, some paid resources to go to the next level. Great stuff, man. Cheers. What to, do you have? Do you have anything coming coming up in the in the near future that are for plans for expansion, or are you kind of rolling with foot you got for now?
0: I am looking into throwing out or rolling out some courses. Um, they seem to be very uh, sort of hot right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's there's definitely an area where there's some players that come to me who are not quite ready for my coaching. Like I'm happy to 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 coach them at their current level, but actually a course might be better off. It mm-hmm. might be better for them. Like just to spend some time going through the course as almost like a prerequisite to then having one-on-one coaching.
1: Right. No, I so like that idea a lot. That's in the, in the works, uh, at the moment. Okay. Well, we'll we will wrap up here, but any, uh, I guess any final words on either what you're doing or advice to the, the recreational players that are trying to go to the next level at all? I mean, the, the, the best advice I can
0: give you is just, you know, play as much as you can, keep firing and uh, just recognize that if you really want to succeed, then you're going to have to put the hours in off the table. Uh, so you're going to have to work really, really hard. It's not easy to make a living in this, uh, in this industry, but it's a lot of fun when you do. Gareth, thank you very much. Cheers, Steve.
1: Well, thank you once again, Gareth, uh, for being with us on the show. Uh, fantastic interview. Also, want to thank Running Aces Racetrack and Casino for all you've done for helping to boost and promote and support the Rec Poker podcast. I really enjoy playing there. Uh, made a lot of uh, great friendships there. A lot of great folks there, and I'd highly recommend if you're in the Minnesota area, check out Running Aces. It's also a great way to on ramp from if you're playing home games, bar league games. Uh, There's some great $30, $60, $75 tournaments uh, that aren't too tough on the break roll that are a great on-ramp for you to get in there. Uh, The staff is great. They'll work with you. The players are great, especially... Um, some of the daytime tournaments where they're super friendly and they'll help you kind of get acclimated. But we want to grow this game, and I think uh, what you're learning on the Rec Poker podcast, you can now put to work in some of those tournaments and start to feel confident and eventually start to play those bigger tournaments. So I would invite you to do that. Personally, I'm super excited. Uh, we're getting close here to the end of May, which means I'm about two weeks away from heading out to Vegas for the World Series of Poker. I'm going to be firing the Millionaire Maker and also a bunch of the daily tournaments, so I'm really excited about that. i got a great group of six guys that are going to be out there spending some time, uh, and so I'm excited to do that and excited to report back on the podcast how things went. Hopefully, it will be good news, but thanks, for everybody, for helping to spread the word about this and for supporting us and for encouraging me along the way. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, chat with you next week.